0: So, we know exactly where we are, Corey. Hackensack, New Jersey. (laughs) Oh my god, here comes the missile! Um, I guess we're fine.
1: We don't actually live in Hackensack, (laughs) but we are Hackensack adjacent.
0: We're pretty damn close, so... Good, good on you, making me feel right home, there, Lex. <laughs> um, no, but that's that's a reference to the first Superman, and welcome to the age of cinema. I am Super Jack, and with me is Trash Panda Corey. You're a super trash panda, yes, aren't you? Super trash panda. Corey. You come with your own S symbol, <laughs> and on your world, it means hugs. <laughs> No, but but seriously, if that intro didn't really give the the the, the game away, uh, today we're going to be talking about the Superman franchise of yes. movies from the from the late nineteen seventies up through uh, nineteen eighty seven. It's five movies. Um, now you might say that. Wait, why aren't we talking about? Uh, Superman Returns, which some people say is considered like the, you know, retcon Superman three, uh, you know, where Brian Singer decided, well, oh guy said his name, I'm going to be jinxed. Uh, he, uh, you know, said, forget about the Superman three and four. This is Superman three. Um, see, the reason we're not going to talk about that is because, A, we saw that movie uh, 15 years ago, and here's my review. It's not very good. Here was my review. I hated it. (laughs) Hated it, hated it, hated it. Now, um, and we'll get into that as well as the other movies. Um, just by the way, thank you again for listening to us. Uh, If you hear a little background noise during the episode, it's a very hot day. Uh, you might say we were thrown into the sun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Should we have our air conditioner on? We're yeah. not turning it off to record.
0: No, so just, uh, well, hopefully we'll try to do the best and that you w- maybe won't hear it and, you know, our voices will carry over uh, in that way. Um, but it's But that's the first thing I wanted to start off with because that is why I think for a long time you, I don't know, would, would you say maybe you you had an allergy to. Uh, this character in these movies.
1: Yeah, so let me give the people a little background about my particular history with Superman. When we were children, we came of age in the golden age of Batman-themed content. Yes. Like, we were children during the heyday of Batman the Animated Series, the Tim Burton Batman films. So when I was a kid, I really liked Batman, and Superman didn't appeal to me. Because I kind of thought Superman seems lame and boring. I didn't like... I thought he had too many powers. I thought he was too wholesome. And I know this is going to sound silly, given what I've accepted in many other superhero movies. I just couldn't get my head around the idea that people who interact with Clark Kent can't figure out that he's Superman
0: just because he's wearing glasses. I I have, and I have this great memory of going to see Superman Returns, and I I don't remember, that, honestly, that much from the movie, um, except, you know, it had a couple of uh, decent action sequences, and it was just way too long, and Kevin Spacey was... Oh, God, that's another name. Oh, so many names in this podcast. But there's that one moment where... Clark Kent does the thing with his glasses and you poked me in the side and did the thing with your glasses where you took them off and put them back on and did like one of those things you do with your hands where you're just so frustrated about what you're seeing.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) Superman did not appeal to me. And the very rare times I tried to engage with Superman content I was disappointed. So.
0: Yeah, I think. Well, also, too. I mean, there are other circumstances. I think with that. I mean, unlike you said, like me, I had you know I had an older brother, and so like I didn't grow up with the Superman movies, but I saw the first two at some point when I was like a little kid. Um, I didn't see the other ones. So, and again, we'll we'll get into how this leads into the podcast, but I had seen those, and I, I remember enjoying them, but they weren't a big part of my childhood either. I was definitely more of a Batman kid, and I was equally of the mindset of, yeah, I guess Superman's alright, but, you know, he's not gritty, he's not dark, you know, and it it's... Oh and also the thing too you didn't have a dad that was really pro Superman either.
1: That's true. Dad's not a big Superman guy. Yeah. He's much more of a Batman guy. He's much more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy, In I guess. General, yeah. And much more of like a Batman guy than a Superman guy.
0: Yeah, so you didn't grow up with it. Like I think these movies even though I could say there are they are kind of of our generation, they're mo- they're maybe more so like for Gen Xers. Yeah, and we are Elder Millennials. Yeah, Elder... elder, We should have robes when we're saying that. We are the Elder Millennials, and we welcome you to the council. Um, But no, but then something kind of remarkable happened, which is, in a kind of roundabout way, you did get into Superman. So... And this comes through... Uh, a little um, guest cameo. Uh, Hope you're listening out there. Uh, Guest star Matt. We,
1: I just want to take a minute to lavish praise upon guest star Matt. So I started watching the new...
0: (laughs) Corey, he he can't hear you. He's in the phantom zone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I started watching... The new show on the CW, um, Superman and Lois, which is part of their kind of universe of DC properties, which guest star Matt refers to as the Beboverse, named after one (laughs) of the most delightful characters.
0: Yeah, now I forget. Did you start watching Superman, Lois, or Legends of Tomorrow first?
1: Superman and Lois. So here's here's why i have to lavish praise upon guest star matt so i started watching superman and lois and guest star matt watches all of these shows and blogs about them in detail and his blogs are like chef's kiss spectacular so i messaged him and said i love this superman and lois show and in particular I was blown away by the charisma of the actors playing Superman and Lois. Tyler Hecklin and Bitsy Tullock. They both just blew me away. Like, I was so in love with them. And so I messaged Matt. And then Matt gave me a handy episode guide to episodes where Superman and Lois had appeared in previous Beboverse properties mm-hmm. before the Superman and Lois show. So I started watching... Some of those episodes. And originally the goal was just to get a little more like sweet Superman and Lois action. But then I watched an episode of Supergirl, the TV show.
0: Starring uh, Melissa Benoist.
1: Yes. And Melissa Benoist, again, blew me away. Like, just Mm -hmm. one episode. I was like... I am in love with this one. Yeah.
0: Now I've seen only a little bits of the show and I've seen the pilot of Supergirl. I wanted to see it so I could have, you know, something to say. And it. she is just so adorable and so right for that character. Uh, she has that particular spirit of like a Krypton person uh, I, don't know, you, I can't call them a Kryptonite because that's something else. <laughs> Kryptonian. Uh, they're a Kryptonian thing. Can we? Can we just call them like Kryptonish? <laughs> they're not quite Krypton. They're not Kryptonians. You know, there's there's no more Krypton. They're Kryptonish. They're uh, like how you know you, you know Jewish people are Jewish. <laughs> but but no, she has that right spirit that you saw in. You know, like somebody like Christopher Reeve, who, of course, we'll we'll get back to and talk about a lot during this episode, um, which is that she has a really good comic instinct and knows how to play it sincerely, you know, so that you can have some drama, but she's also playing it for laughs.
1: Yeah, which is also something these movies have as a strength well when they're good so basically my exposure to the superman and lois tv show and my exposure to the supergirl tv show kind of planted in my head this idea that like i can like these characters and you can make really like wholesome earnest super powered people dramatically interesting and comedically charming. So basically, I saw some like TV takes on these characters where I was just blown away by the charisma that the actors had. And I had um, guest star Matt... Kind of walk me through how I should engage with the show, providing yeah. me like he,
0: <laughs> he 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 appeared uh, in your Fortress of Solitude wall <laughs> in hologram form to to tell you you must find them. You must watch them this way. Yes, that's how Matt talks when he's in the Fortress of Solitude and Little (laughs) Fairy. To mix our franchises,
1: he was kind of like the Jedi Master, and I was kind of like his Padawan. So he was kind of telling me like, (laughs) "This is the order in which you should watch things." (laughs) He was your, he
0: was your wizard teacher.
1: So he provided me very detailed, comprehensive, entertaining guidance into yeah. this
0: world. Yes, yeah. and now this brings us though into um, this this episode of the podcast. You know, because of course we're you know doing a movie podcast. You know, this isn't TV, at least not yet. We'll see how <laughs> things go. But my thought then, after seeing her, you know, seeing you watching all these uh, these TV episodes and shows. My thought was, you know, we should watch the first two movies. It's been a long time for me. I've seen, you know, scenes from them over the years, but I have never sat down to really watch the first two movies from beginning to end since I was, you know, like, you know, very young. Like, you know, again, VHS, full screen type of thing. And I'd never seen, but then it occurred to me, at first it was just going to be those two movies. Then I realized, I've never seen Superman 3, I've never seen Superman 4, and I've never seen Supergirl, the movie. And, lo and behold, we have, you know, HBO Max, and all the movies are on there, and... So was t- now is a better time than any. while you know, the super mojo is flowing in you. Yes. Or the D- ch- th- and I want to make that sound as dirty as it is. Uh, that, that might even connect a little to Superman too, but we'll get into that. Maybe well,
1: not. Yes. Well, the super mojo is strong. Why? Well, was riding the wave of Goodwill, where I feel like I'm finally enjoying a property that lots of other people have enjoyed over the years, but I always thought was not for yeah. me until literally well, this year.
0: Well, that but that brings us to something though that I think when these movies are doing it really well, you know, especially in the first couple of movies, and you know maybe here and there on little sparks in the other ones, it in a way it almost takes a certain sophistication in the audience to really kind of get what you know, to get well-crafted sincerity, you know, and, and it because as a kid, you kind of see something that's corny and you might think, Oh, you know, come on. It's a little too corny for me. And you know, I went that way for quite a long time. I mean, sometimes I could enjoy corny stuff in my media. I mean, I saw, you know, homeward bound, the incredible journey too many times. <laughs> uh, now I'm just thinking about those talking animals who don't move their mouths. But anyway, I think though, as like now we're at the stage as adults where I think I can just appreciate uh, Superman and Superman Two in particular a lot more as these big spectacle movies that you know feature you know a really knowing sense of how to portray characters that that they walk a fine line. Uh, In particular with Superman and Clark Kent, how. If you go too far one way or the other, it doesn't quite work. You have to really make it so that the audience can kind of see the wink and the nod that this is supposed to be, these are supposed to be comedies, but there's a sincerity to the performances. There's sincerity to how they interact with each other. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it gets what these comic books should be.
1: Yeah, so do you want to go straight into Superman 1 and talk about what we thought about it?
0: That's, uh... I think that would probably be a good
1: idea. I'm sorry, before you get into it, I just want to say at the outset, these movies are all really old, so, like, spoiler alert for all of them. We're not gonna, like, dance around spoilers. The newest movie that we're talking about is over 30 years old.
0: Uh, 30... Well, yeah, almost 35 years old. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, these movies... Um You know, frankly, by this point, I'd probably be talking about Man of Steel if, you know, and probably wouldn't even call for spoilers. But yeah, if if for some reason you have not seen these super movies and aren't, you know, are worried about being spoiled, you know, give a quick watch or even check out like one of the Honest trailers for one of them or something. Um Again, they've been around a while, so. Fair warning if you don't want to be spoiled. We're talking about these in you know pretty full detail just you know as movies. So all right, you've been warned and now we're gonna move on. Right? Yeah. That sounds good. Um yeah, uh Superman. Uh I mean what can you say? I think this is a I think the first thing to talk about this in Oh, by the way, the, the what a little history I think is worth mentioning first which is that the history of both Superman and Superman 2, it's really just fascinating as far as just modern Hollywood goes and blockbusters, because, like, normally you think, all right, a lot of times a movie will just start out as one movie. You're just making Batman. You're just making Spider-Man. You're just making the, the this X-Men. We want to see if this works before we move on to other movies. And somehow like the selkins uh i hope i'm pronouncing this right like who bought like the rights to the superman franchise um in the 70s they decided i guess with richard donner the director we're gonna make two movies right off the bat or that was the initial plan and so they shot like a shitload of stuff for uh superman and superman what was supposed to be superman 2. But then they stopped filming on Superman, what was supposed to be Superman 2, because they were a little worried. They're like, Well, hmm, all right, well, we had this plan, but what if this doesn't work? And then Superman comes out and it's like, Oh my god, it's a big success. I don't know why I put on that voice for a second. I'm like, Don Knots. Oh my god, Andy, we got a big success <laughs> in our hands. <laughs> um so then they're like, Well, all right, then we'll keep make we'll finish Superman 2. And but they had problems with with Richard Donner and his vision, and his view of it was very wholesome and like you know he had very epic scope for the movies, and so he was fired and replaced by this other guy Richard Lester, who we'll be also talking a lot about here, and he finished the movie, and so it's interesting to talk about both of these movies and the first one because even though the first movie. You know really works on its own there's actually things in it that are supposed to that are supposed to be in superman 2 yeah the opening of superman 1 really sets up superman 2 and i forgot i, I forgot that the two movies were shot back to back and my in my naive naivete i was watching the opening and being like wow they rarely i rarely see like Someone setting up the sequel in the first scene of your movie that takes some balls, <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, oh, 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 okay, that's the plan. But in the moment, I was like, geez, that's that's kind of clever, yeah. I mean, what was there to say? I mean, with Superman, you get the origin story, and by that, you mean you know, you get a lot of origin story, uh, you get to see, you know, you're this is for anyone, not just. Someone who might be new to Superman. This is someone new to the whole concept of comic book movies and that approach. You get to see, you know, the story of Krypton being destroyed. And but right before that happens, little baby Kal el is put in, in you know, a little space basket, so to speak, shot into space, sent to Earth, you know, discovered by uh, Jonathan and Martha. <laughs> Ken. Um, you know, raised, uh, as, you know, from, you know, as a baby and grows up and, you know, sees, you know, himself become kind of has all these powers. Jonathan Kent has his moment where he dies and I want to get back to that in just a little bit. Um, and then, you know, realizes, oh wait, I have, like, there's like this little green thing that will lead me to my own you know, like backstory, and so that leads him into discovering who he is. Then the movie really starts, you <laughs> know, in, in a kind of in a second wave, in the real wave, when he gets to Metropolis and joins the Daily Planet. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I set that up kind of a little. I know it's a little bit jumping all over the place, but I wanted to try to cover the ground of both the backstory and like the. The story itself.
1: Well, one thing I had to keep in mind I like this movie a lot. This movie was my favorite of the Superman movies that we watched. Likewise. I think it's really good. My one criticism of it, though, is that I do think the preamble is too long. I like the part on Krypton. Specifically, it's the part where he's in Smallville that I feel like kind of drags as a teenager.
0: Yeah, I, I can kind of see that. I I'm a, I feel a little torn on it because I think that does take up a big chunk of the movie. And, you know, again, this is a movie that, at least in the version we watched, there are different cuts of the movie uh, that you can watch. We watched the one that ran a little under two and a half hours. And the first 40 minutes is all, like, set up. You don't see a bit of Christopher Reeve in the first, like, 40 minutes of the movie put it that way it's all like it's uh, the first parts on krypton you know marlon brando you know not being able to play a bagel like he (laughs) wanted uh yeah for the notorious story marlon brando wanted to be a bagel (laughs) because why not he wanted to
1: be a jor-el bagel (laughs)
0: um yeah (laughs) instead of like a glowing man like which i guess he is in the movie um, so you have that, and then, yeah, you have the scenes with Mom, pa, Kent. I still feel like, though, it, it helps to have those scenes, because, A, it establishes, like, tone and atmosphere. It kind of gives you a sense that this is who, deep down, Clark Kent is. It's like, he yes, he is Superman. He's had to kind of wrestle a bit with who he is. Um, but it also sets up how he could bring out this corny sensibility as Clark Kent. Like, it doesn't come out of nowhere. He kind of grew up around people probably like that. And so, again, even though he wasn't, he, you know, he kind of was, too. And I I kind of like that. I feel like maybe even some of that came from his dad.
1: Yeah, and I think another thing that I said to you is the modern viewer has to keep in mind when this movie came out, we weren't steeped in a million superhero properties
0: being released that, all the time. On the contrary, I mean, this is 1978. I mean, aside from, I mean, we were just on the verge of it. You know, you had Jaws and Star Wars, and but that was basically it. Like it was the 70s. It was a different time in American cinema. Um, you know, maybe a better time, but it it was. Yeah, people weren't used to it. People thought of comic book stuff. They thought of Batman and Robin on TV, um, which, you know, is great in its own way, (laughs) but not this. Um, So, yeah, you need to be introduced to that milieu. Um, And frankly, though, also, I think it's very important that you have the scene where uh, Jonathan Kent dies.
1: Yes, that was a very good scene. And I also think it's pretty important <clears throat> Zack Snyder <clears throat> that Pa Kent dies of something that Superman cannot fix.
0: Yes. Yeah. He he's Yeah, it's it's something where he just drops dead. That that's it. It's like some people will die and in a strange way. It all, I think. I wonder if that is meant to connect at all with maybe the end of the movie. Which, I, I know we're jumping... I don't, I don't mean to jump ahead with that. I know we should try to go linearly a little bit. But, you know, by the, at the end of the movie, Superman does something that's pretty, like... Uh, uh, maybe we could say desperate. It's a very big move. He makes a big move right there at the, near the end of the movie to save a life yeah and i wonder though if maybe like if he could have, like would he would he have done that for some for like jonathan kent or is it only something that he does for someone like when he knows he has all that power maybe he was too young to use it then and that maybe planted the seed like if i could have done something i would have i'm gonna now go to this extreme to do it for someone else
1: Yeah, I didn't think of that, but I think it's important for Superman's development as a man or as a Kryptonian who comes to really love humanity to also acknowledge that compared to him, humans are fragile in ways that he can help with Mm -hmm. and also ways that he can't. Like, Superman can't help a heart attack.
0: No, he also can't help people being jerks, you know, (laughs) like the ones in Smallville who just make fun of him for... I guess, running really fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's a that's a good scene. And Glenn Ford as uh, Pot Kent, he gets a couple of good moments in there. Um, you know, if you've seen uh, Cliff Robertson in Spider-Man, it's kind of a similar thing. It's like, he's in and he's out, but he gets a little moment to shine. It's like a lot of people in this movie. So we get that, we get the setup, basically. We get to see the fortune of solitude. And... Yeah, then we really, then all that aside, now we get to Metropolis, and this is where the movie proper really happens. Is
1: this where the movie starts
0: to soar, uh, to fly? Um, this is where the movie saves the cat. Ah! <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, this is where we get to see, like, you know, especially you know, now is as good a time as any to bring up Christopher Reeve. Yeah. And how like, these movies wouldn't, you wouldn't have a franchise without this one guy. It's it's not often you could say that. I mean, as much as I love Michael Keaton as Batman, I don't think he's, like, the one thing that made that franchise what it was, or those movies what, what they were. Like, he was a big part of it, but there was a lot else going on. I, I can't see how else these movies would have succeeded without with with a different actor. I mean, could they have found someone else? Like possibly, but he. It's it's like a master's class in acting.
1: Yeah, the movie totally relies on him now. I know it doesn't sound like we're making any bold and original points to be like, wow, Christopher Reeve is fucking spectacular in these movies. But he is.
0: No, he so is. He's so it, we, good. It's, it's, he's like one of these things where, like, you know... It, it, I'm paraphrasing what Jack Nicholson once said about Stanley Kubrick. It's like everyone acknowledges he's the man, and I think that underrates him. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> y- you see, and I think it's because he nails both parts, and it's a it's a tricky thing. Like, you know, I think that's maybe one of the th- one of the reasons, maybe why. Well, I mean, it's not just one, but when you watch when we watch Superman Returns. As good as Brandon Routh was as Superman, I don't think he was that good as Clark Kent.
1: Well, I have not seen Superman Return since I saw it 15 years ago and hated it. I remember that 15 years ago, I was not a big fan of Brandon Routh's performance. However, I have seen Brandon Routh now on Legends of Tomorrow, where he is like a walking talking charm offensive <laughs> and actually I saw Brandon Ralph play Superman in the Crisis on Infinite Earths like Beboverse crossover event and he was great. So in yeah. 2006, I remember being critical of Ralph's performance mm-hmm. and thinking it wasn't very good. But having had the pleasure of watching him act extensively in Legends of Tomorrow and even seeing him play Superman again in the Beboverse shows, it's it was obviously a problem with the script.
0: And the joy yeah, so. more than the actor. no, But what but, well, I mean, maybe yeah, more so the direction. Yeah, I'm just saying, I, I think it's, but what I'm illustrating though is not necessarily like a big knock against Ralph. As you said, yeah, he can be very charismatic. But I'm saying though, it's, but it takes someone who's almost next level yeah. to get to that point. And that's where it's also, it's even in like, it's especially noticeable when he has to slide between the two. People, when you, when he suddenly goes between Clark and Superman in like one scene, in one shot, it's two v- completely distinct people, and you know he's like a perfect like comic foil as Clark Kent. He's so like bumbling, and yet there's something kind of innocent and sweet about him, and like you know, the the way that he just moves physically around Lois and. Actually, you know, I'm going to amend my statement. I think, you know, Christopher Reeve is like 75% of why this movie works. A lot of the rest of it is also, you know, Margot Kidder and Gene Hackman. Yes. And and a little bit of Ned Beatty. R.I.P. for Ned Beatty. Miss Yotis. <laughs> Um
1: But yeah, Christopher Reeve's body language as Superman versus Clark Kent. Yes. He plays them so differently in some ways, but you can also kind of see the core of goodness at the heart of both of them. And obviously, before we watched this movie together, um, I had, over the years, heard many people praise Christopher Reeve's performance in these films. <laughs> I had read many critics, I had seen, you know, many years of where Christopher Reeve is great, and... There was a a little part of me that was a bit skeptical, because there was a part I know that people, and I include myself in this, tend to overrate things that they see when they're children. Sure. And so I thought, yeah, I'm sure Christopher Reeve is fine, but, you know, a lot of these critics probably saw this movie when they were kids, and it imprinted in their minds, and they're, like, extra sentimental about it. Also there was a part of me that thought we know that like Christopher Reeve himself suffered personal tragedy yes. he got paralyzed in that accident he died mm-hmm. young and I also know that you know culturally we have this tendency to overrate the art produced by people who suffer personal tragedy
0: sure yeah yeah no it's it's like um oh I was trying to think of mmm uh, of someone else. Well, it's god, this is a totally different kind of genre and even like medium, but like almost now I just it just popped in my head as you were talking Eric Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> someone who, you know, maybe we kind of overrate him a little bit against someone who kind of suffered personal tragedy but rose colored glasses um sorry sorry boomers listening
1: (laughs) so yeah like part of me assumed that like christopher reeve was fine and good but even with all the like praise i consumed of his performance before i actually sat down and watched it I was still surprised by how good he was. I remember yeah. I said to you before the movie started, mm-hmm. Well, I doubt very much he's going to meet Christopher Reeve, is going to yeah. meet the
0: high bar set yeah. by Tyler Hecklin. See, I didn't necessarily have that issue in my head because, A, you know, I remembered like Christopher Reeve being so, making such an impression on me even as a kid, um, and seeing him in other movies too. I mean, like, He's he's a peer, You know, it's not, he hasn't just been Superman in his career. He was also in like this movie in the early eighties called Death Trap. Um, actually, he was in a movie that only exists because of Superman Four, uh, <laughs> called Street Smart, which is pretty good. Um, so I've no, He has the talent, but I think that for me, what was different was that I think, frankly, after the year that we've had. I needed Christopher Reeve's performance like as a refresher in my life. I needed to see like someone who has such like a genuine wink and a smile and you just go like, oh, but yeah, you feel like his performance in this movie is like a warm hug.
1: Oh, my God. That's such a perfect way of putting it. And you already mentioned the scene where he saves the cat and, like, delivers it. Oh,
0: I got to talk about that scene for a second, though. I don't know how many of you remember that, you know, there's a montage of Superman doing things. Like, he kind of saves. He does a few different acts, uh, just in heroic terms. I think he maybe saves someone from falling off a building, stops, like, an accident, I forget the full order. And the last thing that happens, it's like three things. And the third thing is he saves a little girl's cat from a tree. And, you know, it's... Oh, it's so cornball. It's it's perfect. It's it's beautiful. It's awesome. It's iconic. You know, it's what you want. The way he responds to the girl is just, you know, oh, chef's kiss. Then the little, you have this little moment that Richard Donner doesn't cut. He... He stays outside. The little girl goes inside. You hear from outside. Her tell like her parents, like, "Yeah, Superman saved my cat." And then you hear smack.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's just
0: like a non sequitur. The seventies, man. Like that's its own. That's an another movie happening within this movie. You know what I mean?
1: But yeah, he. I think the key to Superman in good properties is that you allow Superman to be, like, warm and, like, wholesome and really, like, debonair and charming. He's not
0: just a hero, but he's a real charmer. Like, you know, you have that hair. You know, even, like, the little wisp of hair is charming. And also, too, this movie and the best parts of Superman 2, I think... Uh, really, don't forget also that at heart these are also romantic comedies. Yeah, you know, and like him and Lois, there's this like one sequence that I I knew it happens in the movie, but I hadn't thought about it in a little while. And there's a scene where Superman is just taking Lois out on like a flight at night yeah. and taking her around, and you're kind of hearing Lois's thoughts and. It's just like it, first, I mean, aside from it being very like a very romantic sort of moment and the John Williams score is I got you reuse you use this word, so it it's it lifts your spirits. It does. Um it's instead of swords. <laughs> <laughs> I had to find another synonym. Okay. Um it's it's almost like, yeah, this is happening, but it's also a metaphor for that kind of feeling you know the movies when they do can do the movies can do this they can inspire a different kind of emotion it's like and this is almost a giant metaphor for what it means to like fall in love with someone
1: i know like i think what i responded to so much in the first Superman movie, and what I respond to so much in the Superman and Lois TV show and the Supergirl TV show is that like Superman is really
0: powered by love. Yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, occasionally to a fault, but <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, he's like he's found this one woman who's just touched his heart so much, and yet and yet she it's she's touched by him too. And it, it, again, it's this big figurative moment when more for even for like the feeling of what it means for a woman to fall for someone, you yeah. know, or not fall. Maybe that's not the right word, just but to connect. You know, and for the
1: ladies, the ladies like Christopher Reeve is totally swoon worthy in this movie.
0: Oh, as a man, I would say he's swoon worthy (laughs) too. I mean, I I would tap that. (laughs) I'd get some super butt. (laughs) (laughs) That thing's just, like tight as a quarter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it just. It's so nice to see, like, a vision of heroism that isn't, like, dour and stoic and suffering.
0: Yeah, uh, the colors of this movie. Richard Donner and his use of just colors is just striking and beautiful. Like, how much the colors pop, you know. And you even brought up something, too, which I'd like to bring up again. His suit.
1: Yeah, I have to say, I prefer Superman's suit in the movies than his suit on the TV show. Because in the TV show, first of all, he doesn't have like his little red underwear on the outside anymore.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And on the TV show, his suit, like the color is a lot more muted. It's like a much darker blue, like mm-hmm. darker red, darker yellow. And it's got this like almost like pebbling effect. Like the suit looks textured. And I understand if you were engaging in real crime fighting, it looked like a stronger, more substantial suit. But I much preferred, like, the bright colors Mm -hmm. of
0: the suit in the movie. Yeah. I think, well, there's kind of two, like, almost power fantasies going on in the movie. One is the romantic side of it. Uh And the other part is, you know, kids want to dress up like Superman. They want to put on, like you know, some, like, dopey, like, pajamas or spandex and pull their underwear up (laughs) over their pants. You know? Also take that, Zack Snyder. (laughs) Um, you know, I remember even, like, there's some, like, baby picture of me somewhere and in, like, the background is, like, my brother posing for like all you know, try trying to get attention, and he's dressed up like Superman. I don't even remember why, he's just in Superman clothes. I seen that photo, yeah, and I get it, you know, because you see that and it's very bright, and you know, it, it, you have that pose, and you feel like I can take on the world, you know, that kind of innocent sort of feeling. Um, so there's all of that going on in the movie. And of course, you know, we did, we, I don't think we really touched a lot on, you know, a uh, Margo Kidder, by the way, is also, I think very charming too. Yeah. I want to, um, she might go underrated a little bit in the movie because Christopher Reeve is just like this gigantic glowing orb Such of a, a man. a dynamo. Yeah. But she's like quite good in it too. Um, you know, she holds her own with him more than anything. Um, But then I got to also talk about Gene Hackman for a bit. So good. He's having having so much fun with this character. Him and Ned Beatty, like they're in a way almost in their own movie, but of a piece with this movie. And it's like their real estate scheme is just so silly. But it's just like this is the kind of like supervillain plot I kind of want more of in movies. Where Yeah, you're kind of trying to take over the world, but it's in a very goofy and eccentric kind of way. (laughs) Like, if I remember correctly, in the first movie, he's like, yeah, in the first movie, his plot is, I want to, like, blow up part of California so that I can, like, have my own, like, part of the country in California. Isn't that right?
1: Well, he wants to, like, trigger the San Andreas fault line. Okay, right. And that would cause, like, catastrophic...
0: Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's, like, just the plot this movie needs. Um, you know, again, a lot of the twists and turns happen. Uh... So, yeah, what he's done is, after
1: the San Andreas Fault detonates... Or, not detonates, but after he sets off, yes. like, a horrible earthquake along the San Andreas Fault the West Coast will, like, snap off America and, like, sink into the ocean. And then he's purchased a bunch of cheap desert land, <laughs> which will suddenly become super lucrative now that, like, the West Coast, as we know it, doesn't exist anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he's going to reshape the West Coast in, like, his own sort of image. Yeah, he's, like... He's trying to get... He's trying to jump the gun on, like... A dystopian hellscape, and you know, <laughs> and you know, of course, you know, Superman hat you know has to have his ups and downs. Kryptonite comes into the mix. That mention of Hackensack, New Jersey, comes up, yeah, uh, involving one of the targets of the missiles. Um, by the way, of course, Metropolis is New York City. Fine. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lex Luthor's lair. Excellent. Yeah, great production design. <laughs> Excellent. All over this movie, there's great production design. I mean, the, the Daily Planet looks great. But, yeah, what were some of the things in his, in his place?
1: Well, he has a kind of pool almost Yeah. Hitler looks kind of like Grand Central Station if it was a flooded library <laughs> <laughs> because it's a huge library but he also has a pool mm-hmm. that he wigs around in and when Superman is like has to
0: wear the kryptonite don't, around his neck don't you mean where he wigs around in <laughs>
1: So yeah, the architecture looks kind of like Grand Central Station for anyone who's been there, but just imagine Grand Central Station with a giant library
0: and a pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much like the kind of lair that... It's not like full, like, Schumacher level, Uh, but it's close. It's getting there. (laughs) It's like a Schumacher lair in training. (laughs) There's no, like... I don't know if this place would have, like, a plant that could easily devour its, like, villain. <laughs> like, Batman and Robin. <laughs> it's Diet Schumacher. It's Diet Schumacher. Um, now, I mean, again, there's a lot of really fun action. Again, the climax. There's a lot of stuff going on with Superman trying to stop Sandra's fault from, you know, coming apart. Um, now I think, those good time as any, because we've been talking about the movie for a while... I think we gotta get to talking about the ending. Yes. Now I feel like there's uh, it is a problem, but not but I feel like it's one that could have been addressed in the other movies. And I don't know if the filmmakers were savvy enough to do it, if that makes sense. Like, because if for those who don't know, like and you're towards the end of the movie, Lois gets into like uh, a big accident and like she's basically flooded in dirt like as the sandra's fault stuff is happening she dies it's superman really finds her
1: harrowing like she suffocated her car which is crushed under a bunch of rocks and the way they shoot her like scrambling oh, to get out oh of
0: the yeah car. yeah yeah i i was almost worried for her it was like damn how did she like not get hurt during this but that, that's that's uh, God, i hope she didn't uh, yeah, she's very harrowing sequence. And finally, Superman comes just a couple minutes too late, you know, like something you know couldn't get to her quite in time. There's this moment where you just, you know, you're seeing all of these shots, and it's just like, oh my god, this is this really happened. And then he roars into the sky and circles around the earth over and over again, and turns back time, like, Would you say, like, five minutes? A little longer, maybe. Yeah, five, ten, you know, ten minutes, maybe. And manages to get there just before Lois gets into that, you know, big car uh, death accident. So, what the movie now has done is show you, hey, Superman can do this. Now now there are two things to mention about with this uh, again going back to what I was talking about with the production history earlier this was originally the end of Superman 2 and for some reason they decided no no we're going to put it in the end of Superman 1 and maybe they had problems with how they were going to fit it in there um and oddly enough we didn't watch this but the Superman 2 Donner cut they reuse that <laughs> like he does it again uh, he, in the Superman Donner cut, like it's just like, hey, we're going to show him flying around the world again. The problem is, of course, when you introduce that, the question is, well, why wouldn't he do that all the time? Now, I could see them going about this in two ways. One was something you brought up involving what they did similarly with the CW show.
1: Yeah. Now, on the CW show, they use a kind of variant of this plotline with Supergirl and The Flash, Mm -hmm. but the difference is, on the CW show it's incredibly hard to do and incredibly physically taxing to both Supergirl and The Flash. So the way the show gets around this, first of all, it's not exactly the same thing as the movie, I just want to make clear.
0: Was it only, like, they go back a minute?
1: But it's basically, The CW makes it that, like, The Flash and Supergirl almost die from, like, the sheer physical exertion of having to do this. That's how the CW deals with the fact that once you introduce this into the universe, um, it's a total, like, anticlimactic states killer because if you could do this once, why don't you do this every day, yeah. all the time?
0: Well, I think, well, here's where I might counter that in a way that I don't think the filmmakers consider. That's the thing here. If you had it, if it was really clear that Superman can only do this because, you know, he's so driven for Lois that he does this. Like, he wouldn't do this for even, like, Mom, Pop, Kent. He wouldn't do it for, like, Jimmy Olsen. Like, but his, his anger is, like, his emotions are so raging at that moment that he does it. Now, so maybe it's like, okay, you could do it just that time. Or if the movie, the next movie, had really grappled with this. I mean, did no one else notice that time went back? Like, everything else happening in the world, like, nobody noticed? Like, oh, hey, something that just happened didn't happen anymore for the people who didn't die. Like, how did it work for them? That could have been something maybe you could have explored in, like, almost like a Snap Avengers kind of way. Yeah, Uh, but they didn't really do that. It was just like something they introduced, and a they don't show that Superman is vulnerable or affected by it, or that it changes that much. And yeah, they don't really. It's never dealt with again. I mean, if (laughs) you think about like things that happen in particular in like three and four (laughs) of Superman, that Superman could have gone back, like circled around the world again, and it it's like an incri- it's i feel bad because it's kind of an amazing visual. I feel like emotionally it has like such a it, it packs a wallop, but then logically it it doesn't hold sand.
1: No, that's a perfect way of putting it. It has emotional power, but you can't just drop something like this into your movie and have it work logically, especially because none of the other characters
0: address it or even if it's like just for Lois why wouldn't he do that anytime Lois might die <laughs> yeah and how far
1: back can he really go
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it, It's it's a it, it is the one thing keeping this from being like among like the best superhero movies for me like it's up there it's pretty close but it's not quite there because of that
1: and I feel like this is the kind of thing that you wouldn't see in a superhero movie today because superhero movies today
0: oh. are much oh, are
1: more th- attuned to things like
0: okay what does this mean for the franchise going forward. Oh, oh, Twitter would have taken it apart in like 2 hours. Like I think the studio would have gone back and like changed it just based on like reactions to it. <laughs> So, so yeah, so that's that's an issue that, it, and it's a shame, I wonder how they could have gone around it, maybe just not have tried to kill Lois Lane, well, if- so you don't have to go to that length, again, or if you're going to make it more thematically cohesive, like I said, I was trying to piece it back to the Jonathan Kent death, that he couldn't save him then, he could save now. But it's again, but it's dropped like a bad habit,
1: yeah, well, I told you the CW, which again, this when the CW did it, it was more about stopping time than going back in time. So it's not a perfect yeah. apples to apples comparison. But on the CW show, the way they dealt with it is they showed us our heroes can't do this all the time because it almost kills them doing it. Like the sheer effort extend expanded.
0: I think that it's. Donner, like, as a director, Richard Donner wants to have that epic effect, but he doesn't really seem to understand, like, the, like, the more, like, comic booky nature of that.
1: Yeah, they're just lucky that the rest of the movie is so good. Like, in a oh, lesser yeah. movie, I feel like this ending would be a deal-breaker.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, but again, but it's still in the very end of it, you know, you get a nice little moment, I think at the end with Clark and Lois. And then you get that moment where Clark's up in space and does that move, which they repeat at the end of each movie. You don't really get that anymore. I was thinking about that. Like, imagine if you had a superhero franchise where every movie ended with this last, with the same last two shots you know, where Superman's in space and then he faces the camera and does, like, the...
1: Oh, hi, guys. Brandon Routh recreates that shot in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, oh. Another thing, um... This isn't gonna be news to anyone besides me, but once I watched these movies, it became apparent to me how constantly they're referencing, like, other superhero properties. Like... Yeah. This this is news only to me because like everyone had seen these movies before me, but incredibly influential films.
0: Well, yeah. Well, you gotta remember people, as you as we said earlier, people didn't have anything else. This was it. Like this was finally like a breakthrough. I think for a lot of people who, um, you know, only saw comic book movies or comic book properties as, you know, stuff you put on TV, that is meant for kids, you know, a lot of times the animation that was done from anim- from superhero stories was incredibly cheap. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the animation from the the Super Friends TV show from the 70s. No, never. Oh, my God. It's like... it. <laughs> if I show that to you after we're done recording, you'll be like... People watch this, and I think a lot of Gen X would be like, yes, yes, I did. We had nothing else. And it's like animation that moves like, if you look at me right now like, <laughs> I'm going to save the world. Look at me moving my arms like I've this. I've heard of the Super Friends. Yeah, like, well, that's where you get like, you know, Aquaman and like his classic outfit and, and stuff like that. Um, but I think this is a good time I need to jump into Superman too. Yes, Um, which um, I I think in my general top line thing to say, tell you about Superman 2 is Superman 2 is good. Superman 2 is overall good movie that has both really fantastic stuff on par with the first movie and some stuff not. Some stuff really not.
1: Yeah, my feelings about this are a little conflicted, because most of Superman 2 I like a lot. I think most of Superman 2 is really good. But there are two problems I have with it,
0: Yeah, but they're big problems. They're they're pretty big for, for me too, absolutely. And I think that one of them could maybe be explained away just based on, from my understanding of how like weird and cryptic, like the Superman mythology can get in the comics. And, but the other problem is just really bad. like screenwriting. Um, now, of course the good stuff, you know, Reeve and kid are still great together. They, in particular, they have like this whole like series of scenes up in Niagara falls where like Clark and Lois are on assignment and you know, I'm not, again, no spoilers here, it's just the movie, you know, Lois discovers after some deep thinking, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right, hey, wait a minute, I, you, you're you really Superman, aren't you? Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yeah? I'm gonna jump into this like river, <laughs> now save me, and finally it's revealed in the next scene, oh, yeah, no, you're, you really are super, I am Superman, and I, I love that, like, finally they have that moment together. That's It's handled very well. And, you know, that seems to be like, okay, so now this will be the movie. Um, and, of course, there's another movie going on that we'll get to um, in it. But the the problem comes in, though, where for some, for weird reason... Superman can't be with Lois because the, like, crypt, trip, Kryptonians in his Fortress of Solitude tell him no.
1: Yeah, and the movie never tells us, why is he listening to these holograms of dead Kryptonians? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and- yeah, like, these holograms of dead Kryptonians that can still tell him what to do. Um, in particular, like, I think his mother or someone like that. Like they in, in the reshoot, like they could, they didn't get back Brando for, I don't know what reasons. Like he was there in the first movie. I don't know why not in this one, you know, not enough bagel money, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, he, yeah. So it's like he, he, there's this whole midsection of the movie where Superman goes into this like chamber in his fortress of solitude. So he can lose all his powers that way he can be with Lois at a time when he has to save the
1: planet. It's so dumb. I don't mind that they have Superman lose his powers for part of the movie. That's not the problem. It's why he loses his powers for part of the movie.
0: Well, that's very dumb. Well, no, no. I mean, yeah, That that is dumb. Like, I just, but it is still questionable why that's even there in his fortress of solitude that there's like a little like place where you can like just turn on and off your superpowers like why is that even a thing i mean the whole idea with superman is you know he's a kryptonian on earth who gets his powers from the sun but you go into this little chamber and suddenly you're not you don't have those sun powers anymore.
1: There's a
0: lot of world like, building in
1: all of these movies that's very half-baked by look, modern
0: standards. Like, by that logic, could he have died just by, like, if someone shot him? I assume so. I mean, he gets his ass kicked by that one guy in the in the restaurant.
1: There are other ways that you can have a Kryptonian temporarily lose their powers. Like, in Supergirl, they do it when um, basically prolonged, like, non-sun exposure. I don't know how to phrase it.
0: But since the powers are drawn <laughs> well, from... <laughs> well, now you're making me think of Superman 4, so maybe we should say that. <laughs> but, you
1: know what I mean, like, if they wanted to do a story about Superman losing his powers, there is a way they could have done it. Yeah, that's better than what they choose to do in this movie,
0: which is just bizarre. Is it like? Well, I wonder if this at all goes back to like. I'm not trying again. I'm not trying to defend like the storylines and, and stories in these movies, but. Ultimately, I mean, we we know the, the, the origins in the Superman mythology. It's Jesus. You know, Jesus is sent to, you know, Jesus sent to Earth, raised by human parents, discovers when he's a teenager who he really is, jump ahead to when he's an adult, he's now saving people, and I guess, you know, with Jesus he also, like, Jesus couldn't really have, like, a woman. Like, consistently, I guess. But... That seems to not consistently be the case in Superman stories, in particular in Superman and Lois.
1: Yeah, so (laughs) what I was so excited about with Superman 2 was we were going to be in Metropolis from the start. Yeah, and we are. My thing with Superman 1 is the preamble is so long, you only get like an hour and a half of adult Superman Metropolis time. And I wanted, like, even more Lois and Clark scenes because they play off each other so well. Thankfully, Superman 2 gives us a lot of choice, like Lois and
0: Clark banter. Yeah. like, the first half of the movie, I'd say, is, like, it's it's continuing off the first movie very organically. It takes the story where it needs to between them. And, you know, and I like that, again, she discovers who he is. He doesn't hide it. But again, but yeah, but then the movie does that thing of, I need to not have my powers in order to be with you. No, just stick to the status quo, man.
1: Yeah, how about keep your powers and your woman? Yeah, why is that the problem? I don't get it. I mean, it... it, It's contrived. It's just... It's a complication for the sake of a complication that is given no organic reason to exist.
0: And it's, well, it's also there, too, because of our villain plot, which, to be fair, is pretty awesome. Oh, we it's didn't, so good. We didn't even get to this yet. You know, you get, you know, we now got to talk about Mr. General Zod. Kneel
1: uh, before Zod.
0: Kneel before Zod. And, you know, he has, of course, his two other... Uh, Trusty Kryptonian compatriots. Ba- compatriots uh, Ursa, played by Sarah Douglas, and uh, Non, played by Jack O'Halloran.
1: Actually, Non is in the first season of Supergirl, huh. and he shots on the show, though. He's a total <laughs> non-entity. Totally
0: boring. He's kind of a non-entity in this movie, too.
1: Well, I guess Supergirl was keeping it... Because, unfortunately, Nan is almost, like, a big bad in Supergirl Season 1, and he's totally bland and boring.
0: I and I, I know this is a bit of a sidebar, and you know, cause, but I'm, I'm kind of curious in Supergirl, because, like, she's dealing with, like, a prison of, like, ex-Kryptonians. Like, Zod isn't one of them? So,
1: I mean... We don't really have... No, Zod is not in, like, the Fort Roz Mm. prison. In the season two finale of Super... I've only watched the first two seasons of Supergirl. Plus, I've watched, like, crossover events from later seasons. In the season two finale of Supergirl... Um, the big bad from like one of the big bags from season two, this Datsumite queen named Rhea performs like a brainwashing on Superman using a special type of like brainwashing silver kryptonite. Uh-huh. And Superman in his brainwash mode sees Kara as Zod. Uh-huh. So Zod does exist in the Supergirl universe.
0: All right, maybe you just haven't gotten him um, But
1: Terran Stamp,
0: Oh. So good. So good. It, it, what I love about him so much, he's like, he's just so bored with human beings. <laughs> he's like, it's such a spectacular example of how to do like an alien invasion story, really. Because he comes to Earth and he's like, you are no much for me. You will all be no real to me. He's just, like, so arrogant, and he's such, like, a prissy, like, little, like, I don't know what. And and yet, like, he had, But he has this, like, sincerity to him, like a lot of the other characters. And I, that's what I like about it. It's like he's... There's something about him that's campy, and yet it doesn't fall into being, like, too much you know, like the later movies we're going to get to. Um, and he finds
1: a lot of different ways to say Neil before Zod.
0: Yes, he does. It's like, I am, when you, I am Groot. You wouldn't think Vin Diesel has enough ways of finding ways <laughs> to say I am Groot. But he finds them. He's like, it's like a banality of evil. He's like so banally evil. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, but, yeah, sorry. But, but he gets to there and... So it's like he's like taken over Earth. He's going to the White House, you know, uh, screwing with uh, President E.G. Marshall. And again, while this is happening, and this you know very entertaining villain plot is unfolding, and Lex Luthor's there too because he wants Australia, all of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have Clark doing this whole like mopey like I'm gonna try to stop my powers thing, and i'm gonna actually come to the movie's defense not in a way but like i'll try to i want to try a piece how this could have worked and what i think did it better like you watch spider-man 2 and that's also a movie where peter parker decides midway through like i gotta give up being spider-man i can't keep doing this you know and you have that montage of raindrops keep falling on my head and he's like not spider-man anymore But then once Doc Ock comes in, no, he's back to being Spider-Man. Maybe you could have had a thing where maybe Lois would ask him, like, maybe you should stop doing this, but that wouldn't have made sense either. I don't think
1: that makes sense because in the movies Lois is really like enraptured
0: by Superman. She wants that like Super Dick. Yeah, <laughs> she, and wa- she gets it. She wants it bad. Yeah, well, and it happens in the movie.
1: I love too their like sex bed looks like one of those old things of like jiffy pop popcorn <laughs> that like you would pop on your stove. <laughs>
0: Yeah, those Kryptonians know how to pop, man.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, that's why I said to you, I'm not opposed to Superman losing his powers for part of the movie to, like, build up tension, to build up suspense, to kind of give Zod a bit more of a threat factor.
0: But it's too contrived.
1: But it's why he loses his powers that's really dumb. And I should also say, when he goes to get his powers back... It's just as contrived. Like, he both gives them up and gets them back, I think, way too easily.
0: Yeah, he, like, Christopher Reeve gets to have a pretty good acting moment where he, you know, kind of almost cries in the Fortress of Solitude about it. But then, yeah, it's just like, fine, all right, I'm going to get back my powers. And so we can have this big, you know, set piece in Metropolis. Yeah. Which and is he- quite fun. But, yeah, it's a part of the writing that. I, I wonder, if, I really wonder if that was something left over from the Donner version or if that was something Richard Lester did. Again, I haven't seen that Donner cut that supposedly makes it all better. And I don't know if I've heard it's like really a lot better because if you keep that story thread in there, it's just there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem for the movie.
1: We watched a YouTube video that broke down the differences between the Donner cut and the Lester cut in some detail, so we feel like we have a pretty good sense. Of
0: yeah, it. it's too. It's just vague and unclear. It's it's too vague uh, of the reasoning. It's like and it's 15 minutes of the movie, you know, and it's two. It's a two-hour movie, so it's not insignificant. But then again, you get into the action of the rest of the of the of the climax. That part's a lot of fun. Um... It's funny, too, because you don't have this reference point, but when I was watching the fight between Zod and Superman in Metropolis, I feel like very obviously Zack Snyder saw that and decided to do his version for Man of Steel. (laughs) But his version is just so much more dumb. (laughs) And that's saying something, because in Superman 2, you watch it and you think, like, All you people see this destruction happening around you. Zod is, like, trying to kill you. You should run. (laughs) Why are you sticking around for, like, the spectatorship? (laughs) (laughs) So that happens, and then, um, you know, a really nifty, uh, you know, gotcha that, you know, between Superman and Zod and the baddies in the Forge of Solitude, I thought that was really clever and great. Um... You know how he kind of trick, how this sort of trickery happens, and Luther Luther has like the double cross, but then there's like another cross. Um, then we gotta get to the end of this movie, and we have another problem, a uh, pretty big one.
1: <laughs> Amnesia case, WTF! I'm so annoyed.
0: I'm 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 quite annoyed by that, and it's another case where, if maybe the filmmakers had more of a plan. Like, yeah, this is, this seems a bit, this seems contrived, but maybe they'll deal with the ramifications of it in the next movie or next movies. Then maybe, you know, all right, maybe I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but A, that doesn't happen. And B, it's just, it it resets things to the status quo and it just doesn't make sense. It's like, it, it kind of doubles down on the contrivance in the middle of the movie. That, like, the only way that Superman and Lois can be happy is if she doesn't know that he's Superman, that Tim and Clark are Superman. So, that for what? I mean, and ultimately, you think to yourself, well, is it what if she finds out again that he's Superman?
1: It's just by the end of the second movie, the filmmakers have spent. Four hours getting me invested in Superman and Lois's relationship, and you know what? It worked. I'm invested in their relationship, and they have great chemistry.
0: And there's and the scene that happens leading up to the kiss, like Clark and Lois have this like very heartfelt, tender moment together, where she kind of pours her heart out and talks about all these things about you know him and as Superman, and then. It's a really great acting moment, I thought, from Margo Margo Kidder. And yeah, then he goes in for that kiss, and it's like, yeah, reset. And it just raises questions too. Like, this is another new power, like that we didn't know he had before. Could he do this to other people? Like that we don't see. Well, no, we do see him do it again. And good fucking god, we'll get to that in the in the fourth movie. But like. Why does it only erase those memories? So he can, like... Is it like a a Thanos snap where if he thinks really hard about what he wants the person to forget about, they just forget?
1: Yeah. Why does he go around fighting villains? Couldn't he just (laughs) just kiss them all and remove their memories and, like, reconfigure their personalities to make them not
0: villains? He'd be like Poison Ivy, only instead of, like, a kiss killing them, a kiss just, like tells them like, oh, why do I hate you? I don't hate you anymore. If he
1: made out with Lex Luthor, <laughs> he remove the evil scheme oh, from Lex
0: Luthor's brain? Oh, you know that there are some people who've shipped them together. <laughs> don't give him more ideas. Well, in, <laughs> in that scene
1: that you talked about, Clark's amnesia kiss is presented as uh, a kind gesture because... Um, Lois is freaking out about, like, I can't handle this knowledge. However, before that scene, there's zero indication that she can't handle that knowledge. Right. So actually, when she finds out that Clark Kent is Superman, she's cool with it. Yeah. And she's cool with it until the end of the movie needs her to be suddenly devastated about it. So it's presented as a kind, loving gesture, but also I might submit um, wiping the memory of someone you purport to love is not a kind gesture.
0: No, it's almost kind of like a... I, w- I don't know if I'd say it's a tactic from an abuser, but like you're, you, but you're, but you are trying to control them in a way that is not healthy for any kind of relationship to continue. I mean, yeah, it'd be one thing if she was really having problems. If it was more in the story that maybe once she finds out that Clark and Superman are the same, maybe she really like starts to worry for him in some way that doesn't make sense, but you know, whatever, she's, you know uh, reasons and maybe he does it to do like the Spider-Man thing of, I need to protect you from, you know what, you know, the people that come for me like that type of reason that Peter Parker often will break up with Mary Jane and not want to have a relationship but this movie doesn't really have that, they just seem good together and then it's suddenly like smooch, bye
1: yeah. It, bye,
0: bye, Felicia. It's one
1: scene where this angst comes out of nowhere. and Yeah.
0: Like I said, I don't think even... But the, the, the problem is, though, in the Donner cut, that it's... I don't think they have the amnesia kiss in that. Do you remember that being the same in that? I think that they just, again, repeat the thing around the, the world.
1: Kind of like the ending of the first movie... It's clear to me that the filmmakers didn't think about the ramifications of the amnesia kiss at all. There's a lack... All of these movies, they lack a kind of, like, macro perspective that franchise filmmakers have now.
0: No, maybe that's it, too. I mean, ultimately, they might say, well, come on, these movies are for kids. But kids are not dummies. You know, I would have, if I would saw Superman 2 when I was, like, eight or nine, I'd argue the shit about this movie with my friends and about why that might be messed up or they'd say why it's not and, you know, very dumb arguments would ensue. Um, but, yeah, the, the problem is, yeah, the ramifications aren't dealt with by the future filmmakers. It's, it's like, uh, you know, it's... It, <laughs> it's imagine if Last Jedi had like a really stupid ending and they didn't deal with it at all in the, other, in the next movie well I know they didn't deal with anything in the next movie but yeah. you know what I mean alright well this gets us now into the next movies and I mean I feel like these next ones I don't know if there's more to talk about or less because these now we're getting into it's gonna uh, be a pretty rough road from here on out it's a pretty rough road um, good old Superman 3. Uh, this is where we start to drive off the cliff, folks. Uh, we're driving off with of the cliff with good old Gus Gorman. Uh, and this is where, um, the thing that's really strange with Superman 3, and this is more so after we just finished Superman 4, like, you really could just skip Superman 3, and it doesn't really affect like anything. Yeah. It's a super it's it's weird because it's a self-contained movie. It maybe just has the it has a little bit of continuity just in the sense of the rest of the Superman like myth like series, like in some parts. But it, it it's a we, it's such a weird movie, though, because I think the director wanted... To, this was a different director working completely on his own this time. Again, this is like Richard Lester. He's not beholden to what Richard Donner was doing before. He didn't have to kind of Frankenstein a movie together like he did with Superman 2. This is all him. And what he came up with is... Uh, I, I. It's It's like so baffling... I mean, how do you describe this movie? Superman 3 was so convoluted and bizarre,
1: (laughs) I literally had Uh, to consult the Wikipedia plot summary for the movie as we were watching it.
0: As we also did for Supergirl, and we'll get to that too. Because I literally couldn't understand what I was watching. I could understand it to an extent... But it's like, as I said in my box review, you know, that is a bad script fit. <laughs> it's, it's the biggest issue. There, there's so many issues with this, but ultimately, like, and what sucks is, you know, Christopher Reeve is still, you know, he's still there as Superman and Clark Kent. He's still fine for the he's most so part. Good, yeah. He's so good. And later in the movie, like, he becomes kind of like bad Superman. Uh, for reasons that are kind of weird and convoluted and we'll maybe get to that. But, like, I enjoyed him as bad Superman. And and I know that I might I might be the minority of people who see this movie and think he sucks in those scenes. I'm also the guy that kind of enjoys Tobey Maguire in, Super, in Spider-Man 3 when he becomes bad.
1: It's awesome. I would say I think Superman 3 is a bad movie I don't like it. Uh, It's pretty hard to sit through,
0: but when Superman, quote, like, goes bad, it's really fun. I think that what my thing with the movie, I think it's a little bit more of a mixed bag, ultimately, and I come out on the negative side of it. What I say about it is that it's almost like... It's like a series of comic books from a run that have been kind of stuck together. And when you read, like, a run of a comic book... Sometimes you don't get the same author writing it and sometimes you get other artists that come in and it's like different people come in and out and there's no clear plan. But you could see where certain ideas maybe were pitched like to DC and got some laughs and got some like, ah, okay, that's not bad. And, you know, it's like it's lurching forward after that like spectacular junkyard fight. The junkyard
1: fight where Dark Superman battles like Clark Kent. Yeah. Is so good. It's like this perfect little like short film buried in this pretty bad
0: film. That's a good way of putting it. It's like, it's one of the highlights for me of like the whole franchise, just in like how it's staged and how like funny it is and how like you almost feel the tension of what the hell is going to happen here and the whole design of the junkyard, how Reeve is playing off himself. Like, it's so... It's spectacular. But then you also have a whole lot of Richard Pryor in this movie that makes no goddamn sense whatsoever to the point where... Like, the plot of, like, part of the plot of this movie became a punchline in the movie Office Space. <laughs> I mean, like, you have, like, the pro, like, he's, like, I think one one of the key issues here is, like, the studio thought, like, we, like, oh, Richard Pryor likes the first super suit first two Superman movies? Let's put him in this. First of all, no. And secondly, if you are going to put him in this movie, don't do what you do with him in this movie, which is that, like, he's a nobody schlub who somehow stumbles upon, like, a computer gig where, from from our perception of him from the opening scene, he's just, like, a random, like, layabout, like, douchebag who manages though to be a computer hacking genius and fashions this plot involving stealing like lots of bits of pennies from everyone's paycheck and then he finds that he's like now made a shitload of money and so then he's brought in by Robert Vaughn uh who's like this you know conglomerate you know business owner uh evil guy and he has a plan involving hacking into like oil systems and he it it it's it, it, I don't understand the, it the, even having the, seen the movie. The, the movie I said before, it, it to it's you when we were watching it, it stumbles around like a drunkard. It, it's or it's like somebody on Coke who's riding like up an elevator up and down up and down to hell. And it, it's. And there's the thing about like wrecking the coffee crop in Colombia. And he's trying to spray like an oil tanker all over the ocean. And it, it, yeah, 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 the coffee crop. Where's all this coffee stuff comes in? So, yeah, he's it's gonna, a Superman movie! <laughs> he's gonna control a weather satellite to destroy the
1: coffee crop in Colombia, so he can, like, control the trade in coffee, but he's also controlling the oil. And yeah, the Richard Pryor character, why is Gus Gorman, is someone who in the opening scene is presented as someone who's perpetually yeah. unemployed... And you're right, just kind of like a loser layabout. Yeah. And then it turns out he's this
0: one in a million computer. <laughs> he's genius. like he's like fucking Wile E. Coyote with this. Like, yeah, he's a one in a million computer genius who is like who is able to hack into these systems. Like, it must have been a trip to be around in that time in 1983 because I forgot about this at the same the same month this came out. There was that movie War Games. Which I I think I saw some of. In uh, in that movie, that's, like, where Matthew Broderick is, like, just a kid. He hacks into, like, a government system and they're, like, you know, it's a whole other thing. But I have to wonder if people who saw these two movies were, like, what? You're trying to... You have war games and you try to kid me with this stuff? Like, get out of here.
1: The only thing I will say is... Richard Pryor's first plot, he's, like, skimming money, is clearly explained in the movie Office Space. So if anyone has seen the movie Office Space, they the characters in that movie try to do and what Richard Pryor does successfully.
0: The problem, like, th- this whole movie, I won't say what would have been fixed, it still would have been messy, but you could have had it with one simple rewrite that he's not an unfortunate dude who's, who doesn't have a job and he joins his company with this hackneyed plot. Um, if he had already been working there for Vaughn, yeah. for Robert Vaughn's character, he was if he was already this person who was, like, very disgruntled and he maybe... Maybe you have it that he, like, he goes up against Robert Vaughn and decides to, like, take over. Maybe, like, a mix of, like, Riddler in Batman Forever and even, like, Joker and Batman. Where, like, J- you know, Joker in that movie starts out as, like, an underling to a mob boss and then, you know, takes over after he gets screwed over. Like, that could have been, you know, would Richard Pryor been able to play it? I don't know. Maybe get a different actor. You know, get get Billy Dee Williams.
1: Yeah, it's Richard Pryor. It's an incoherently
0: written character. It's not a great performance. There's one part in this movie where they stop to have, like, a, a joke where, like, on the outside of Robert Vaughn's, like, giant, like, skyscraper, like, outside, he's built, like, a ski slope. And, like, Richard Pryor is, like, skiing?
1: Oh, and you remember... The movie
0: stops for that!
1: Do you remember, like, I just remembered, like, the henchwoman (laughs) with the big, like, bazoongas?
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) And the thing that's a shame is, I think there's... But there is a good movie buried in here somewhere. Like, you know, again, it's it's a pretty standard plot, but you have, you know, in part of it, like, Clark Kent's going back to Smallville for his uh, high school reunion... Which itself is a little bit odd considering, like, wait, how old is Clark Kent? What year is this? But you, you can put that aside. You know, you meet Annette O'Toole, plays Lana Lang. They, you know, her and Christopher Reeve have pretty decent chemistry. They have some good scenes together early on. You could have had something with them. And maybe, like, there's another way you could have rewritten the movie. Because, again, they have some good stuff you know, not great, but it's okay. And maybe, like, there's some threat to Smallville. And, like, in, you know, you have these first two movies set in Metropolis, for the most part. Now bring it back to Smallville and make it a Smallville movie. And maybe that's the threat, and he has to save it. But no, instead, it becomes this, like, Superman is going to fix the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Which, which is funny. Which, oh, no, no, it was. Absolutely. He does that... Didn't he also like intervene in some and he there's a whole montage of him fixing things that don't need fixing. Well, when he goes, when he goes bad,
1: quote-unquote, what he does is he straightens the Leaning Tower of Pisa so it can no longer make money as a tourist attraction, and he puts a humble souvenir south <laughs> <style> of Pisa. <Connecticut, laughs> that's his goal.
0: Oh, and yeah, then, that's, he comes back at the very end of the movie, too. And then
1: he goes to the Olympics
0: and snuffs out the Olympic torch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. There's funny stuff in this movie. Like, that's the thing that's frustrating. I could tell Richard Lester is, like, he's a comedy director. The guy did the fucking Beatles movies. He knows how to do this stuff. He knows how to stage comedy. But whoever wrote the script for this movie should be, like, you know, put up against a wall and, like, you know you know, given like a stern talking to, uh, by (laughs) bad Superman. I I mean, this is like, there, there's some, there's so much like in there's good ideas that I can see happening here, but they're stuck in this like awful, like, like, like hackneyed plot where in a way you're trying to, I think like maybe they were trying to repeat what they did with Lex Luthor But it just doesn't work. No. You know what I mean? Like, you already had, like, the rich businessman who's trying to do these convoluted deals. But at least with Lex Luthor, it's pretty clear cut. He wants to, like, do this damage so he can buy this land. Okay, pretty stupid, but it works for Lex Luthor. It's clear. With this, it's like, we're going to have coffee beans. We're going to have oil. We're going to do this and that. It's like, Super pick TV. a lane, man. Pick, we- pick a lane with your haphazard garbage satire of 80s like capitalism.
1: Now, you don't agree with this, but I personally think this is the worst Superman movie. Notice, I'm not saying the worst movie we watched. I'm saying the worst Superman movie.
0: Yeah, I think, though, for me, I still think Richard Lester... Hat, you know, he does like some interesting stuff directing wise. Um, and it, again, it's like I said, it's a run of, it's a comic book run where it's like, if you know, I don't really like issues two and three, but I really like four and five. Mm. That's why to me, it's it's I don't make it wrong, I give it like a thumbs down, like I don't think it's good, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in it, and that's why. I still would put it above four, um, and it's for different reasons. And like I think it's it's they're not exactly the same kind of bad. <sighs> um, I guess maybe maybe I'd feel differently if I saw it again. Um, but I will say again, it is a disappointment, and it, it was just such a shot in the foot to first put Richard Pryor in this, and secondly, just. I said this in my review uh, online. Why is Gus Gorman? <laughs> it's and it's funny, too, because then, like, you know, there's no mention of Gus Gorman, like, when you get to the other movies. There's no, like, you know, I, I, as a joke, if I were making, like, an in-universe Donner Lester like, Superman movie, I'd have, like, a framed picture of Richard Pryor on a wall just to get, like, Twitter, like, in a tizzy. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, this guy who we want to pretend didn't exist, who is on the poster in Superman's arms. Yeah, I... I yeah, I don't know. It, it, it is a, uh... <laughs> just watch the junkyard scene on its own just yeah, watch the junkyard scene watch the scene where uh, Superman's getting drunk in a bar
1: yeah actually anything with quote unquote bad Superman is highly worth watching yeah everything else
0: yeah you know what it is again going back to what I said earlier too I think that I, uh, I, Again, I'm, I'm a sucker for Christopher Reeve as Superman. I still think he's trying a lot in this movie, and I think he's trying more in this one than in 4.
1: Yeah. And that's he, a key
0: thing for me, too.
1: He does give an X ex- This is probably the last year where you really see, like, a three-dimensional performance.
0: Yeah, and that's a key thing for me, where I don't think I see that as much in 4. Like, 4 is where... It, which is surprising because 4 is the one where he wrote the part of the story where he's kind of checked out. He's he's just... He's, he's waiting for the clock to pass so he can be in Street Smart.
1: <laughs> Alright, All let's right. get to the real bottom of this franchise.
0: Supergirl. This movie is <laughs> terrible. It's, it's so bad. In order to move mountains, you need to make sacrifices. You... Like, you have,
1: like, a few note cards out to help you prepare for this (laughs) podcast, and your note card for Supergirl just has one word, and it is incoherent?
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Nothing in this movie makes any sense. Any sense at all. And this is also a case where, um, like with Superman 2 and Superman 4, there are other cuts of the movie, apparently, I ain't gonna fucking watch them. Are you kidding? Like, I'm, I'm, I have what's in front of me, which is an over two hour movie, which has no business being over two hours. And is a movie that, strangely enough, it like, it like we talked earlier about how the first Superman movie had the problem of, well, not problem. I I didn't think it was a problem so much. It was maybe just an observation more than anything that the opening of Superman went a little long in explaining his backstory. Supergirl doesn't bother with that, but that's a problem. Supergirl gives you no backstory. Literally the only reason <laughs> I had any idea of what was
1: going on You're, was because I had some familiarity with the TV show. It,
0: it's almost like if you thought the third movie was fueled by cocaine... No, no. Supergirl is fueled by like <laughs> the, the mountain of cocaine from Scarface. Like that makes a reappearance here um from other movies and <laughs> <to> sentient you... ha! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, I want to make that comic book about how the sentient pile of cocaine from Scarface hopped from movie to movie and made it more, (laughs) like, fueled by mania. And, like, it's, like, the opening of this movie, you see, like, Helen Slater is Supergirl, and she's in this... What was it called? Like, They weren't on Krypton because they were Krypton's in destroyed. Argo City. Argo City. City
1: was a chunk of Krypton right. that survived the death of Krypton. And it's just like a chunk of Krypton that's just like floating in space. Now, the movie doesn't explain this to us. Literally, the only reason I know this is because in a season of Supergirl I haven't gotten to yet,
0: they introduce Argo City. Yeah, and you have Peter O'Toole, drunk off his tuchus, like, (laughs) explaining to Supergirl about, like, how stuff kind of works, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, It almost seems like they tear through, like, the aluminum siding fabric that's holding together their Argo City, and he has, like, this orb. And I forget the name of it's the orb.
1: Something like the Omega Hedron. Yeah, the, the Omega
0: Hedron. And it's supposed to like give like a lot of power. And it, 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 what was unclear from the start was it seems like it leaves Argo City. And then I guess Supergirl is going to go after it, but without telling anybody. And that part itself is unclear. Uh, weirdly, Mia Farrow shows up for two seconds, getting that paycheck. Um, <laughs> and then... She's on, but then she and the Omega Hedron wind up on Earth. Reasons and, but somehow the Omega Hedron winds up in the lap of wannabe witch lady Faye Dunaway, uh, playing Serena or is it Selena? It's one of those. Let me let me double check that. Um, oh, uh, it's uh, Selena. Okay, uh, sorry. Um, and then Kara L. Who is uh, Supergirl? She, Kara Zor El, excuse me. She winds up on Earth, and right away finds herself like looking on at like a base, like a softball game, and decides like I'm gonna join up at school at this like all girls like academy, like as if she's like going to like the school that like uh, that Rory Gilmore went to. But what? But All why? right. I I now it did. I didn't realize. I didn't understand it watching the movie. It took listening to the "How did This Get Made" podcast. Like one of the people on there had a theory that she's watching a softball game and the balls are like orbs, and so she might she associates the orbs with the omega and goes to the school because of that.
1: Well, that's not
0: true to in the film. And No, it's like what you might gather is that she I guess wants to maybe go undercover, like as a human, to, because then maybe she'll discover its whereabouts and she doesn't want to show people who she like really is a supergirl. But That doesn't seem to make sense either. She doesn't have the same upbringing as Clark Kent did to have that motivation to hide who he is because humanity can't really understand, like, you know, human being superhero. Supergirl herself is a total void of a character. And I feel bad because I have to think Helen Slater, you know, she probably really wanted this part. It was offered probably to other people and she's very conventionally pretty but either she didn't get the direction she needed for it to be more finely tuned or something was just missing in the script cuz yeah she's like very dead in the water here and i've seen like i've read critics even like Roger Ebert say like oh she's great in the movie it's just the script is a mess no i think she's a problem too
1: yeah i
0: mean think- like she like granted few actors are going to reach up to that level that Christopher Reeve did, but she's not up to the task.
1: Yeah, I would say it's a multi-part problem. The script gives her nothing, but she also doesn't have the gravitas or charisma to transcend any of the limitations in the script. So, like, she's a nothing, and the script gives her nothing, and the script is totally Mm. unclear about what she knows about Earth. It doesn't tell us anything about what her life has been like. Like, I listened to the Flophouse (laughs) review of Supergirl, and they mentioned, they made this point, which I thought of when I was watching it too, like, she doesn't understand bras, but she understands letters of recommendation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Corey, any student understands that. (laughs) you know that very well from being a professor
1: like her knowledge (laughs) of earth customs varies based on the needs of the plot it's like
0: one moment she won't understand what a doorknob is and the next minute yeah she understands that yeah it's very like touch and go like i i don't understand like are we supposed to find it, like, funny in, like, a fish-out-of-water way that she doesn't understand this stuff? Like, I made the comparison watching it, like, I thought of the movie Splash, where also, well, f- forgive the phrasing, fish-out-of-water, but, you know, in that movie, <laughs> that felt like a better version of what Supergirl is trying to do here, um, where, like, a girl is out of her element now in, like, this, like human world that she can't seem to adapt to, um, also with a romance. Um, And the romance here is just really weird because it starts off from Selena, the Faye Dunaway character, seeing this like, like, landscaper uh, played by uh, oh god, what what was his name? Hart Bochner, who you might remember as Ellis from Die Hard. uh, And it's like she wants to put him under like her like romance spell, and he—that's where you get the first real action set piece of the movie involving like was like a runaway tractor or a tire or something. Bulldozer. He, bulldozer. He's
1: carrying like the mouth of a bulldozer, <laughs> and what happens is is the groundskeeper of the boarding school where Supergirl is inexplicably enrolled herself for no discernible reason and supergirl is kind of chastely pining for him from a distance faye dunaway wants to enchant him with a love spell but the way her love spell works is he will fall in love with the first person he sees and when faye dunaway like enchants him she thinks okay i'm gonna put this love spell on him and the first person he sees will be me but uh oh the first person <laughs> is, is actually
0: Supergirl. <laughs> so, I like your Scooby-Doo impression. So, <laughs> the guy is under
1: Faye Dunaway's spell. But, but, but he, he falls for Yeah, for Supergirl. Kara Zor-El.
0: And you also don't really comprehend, too, like, he's a grown-ass man. Like, how old is she supposed to be?
1: Ooh, I mean... She enrolls herself in a boarding But she school. looks
0: like she's almost, like, 28.
1: Yeah, she looks like she's in her 20s. I think the actress was, like, in her early 20s.
0: Yeah, so maybe that was their way of getting around it. If you cast someone who looks old enough, you're not going to think about the fact that your character is supposed to be too young for this person. But that's also, like, an undercooked storyline anyway. And like, it, it, it's like, why are they together feeling like feeling things like a better version of this ultimately you see and with steve uh trevor and wonder woman yeah like that's where i feel like the best criticism of supergirl comes in is wonder woman i have to think that like patty jenkins saw like Supergirl and said like no 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 let me let me show you how you can do this a little better
1: at least the first one anyway because the second one will makes no great. Well, shape. That's
0: a whole other yeah. podcast. Like the one thing I'll say for Supergirl again, tip, ba- very bad movie. Faye Dunaway is having fun. Yeah, she she's funny. she saw what she could do with this part, and she's there to really try to perform. Um, I've seen, again, other critics say, like, the whole cast is really game here. Like, Brenda Vaccaro, who I guess was kind of, like, a big actor for a while in the 70s and 80s. I'm not as familiar with her. She's, like, uh, she plays Bianca, the sidekick of Selena. Um, there's an actor who I should be more familiar with, and I'll sound, like, really embarrassing to the boomers out there. Peter Cook is that guy, Nigel. Who's kind of like the exposition machine in the movie? Um, but it's just, it's just so much nonsense. This whole script is just a plate of garbage, and and the problem is, it would be fine maybe if it was ninety minutes, but it's like two, it's over two hours long. You're watching it and you're just get to the climax already and get to like oh there, and there's so many other weird things like. Why the villain is in, like, an abandoned amusement park? Yeah. Why? Like, okay, I guess it looks kind of cool. It looks kind of like you're in a Tim Burton movie. An early Tim Burton movie. But, yeah, nonsense. And... We also take a boring trip to the Phantom Zone. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Peter O'Toole comes back into the movie, and you're unsure how much time has passed between them uh and he's like very apologetic, I guess, for reasons that are I guess clear and unclear. Uh, yeah that that set piece was a bit of a mess I, I I just I I don't know what what you could have done to make this different maybe like streamline the whole origin of it like I get the whole thought that we don't need to re-explain stuff involving, Powers because maybe they both, Supergirl and Superman have similar powers, but you gotta at least establish the character yeah. as her own being and establish who she is. It, it, it feels like the people who made this movie just wanted to get to a lot of shtick that's not earned at all and. And not funny! <laughs> Thank you, John Mulaney's Mick Jagger. Yes, in the first movie, yes! <laughs> but Supergirl, not funny! No, no, not funny. Pretty lame. Pretty bad shtick, like, in general. Like, you know, it's, it's especially, like, stuff involving... Yeah, anything where, like... There's, like, at least a good ten minutes where you're just seeing Kara zor um and, uh, who Who is it? Like, Jimmy Olsen's, like... Si- no, no, lo- what, lo- no. Lois Lane's sister. Lucy Lane. Lucy Lane is a character who is in this... Happens to be at this school, I guess. Did Kara zor know that, too? That's unclear. Um, but anyway... Like, they're getting bullied, and that's also... But then she fights back a little bit in goofy ways, and that's supposed to be funny, and it's not... And And because,
1: again, I know I'm reiterating this, you never understand why she's enrolled herself in the school under a fake name anyway.
0: You know what you could have done? Maybe if you started the movie with her already in school, and then, like you, like, reveal thing. you make that kind of, like, a mystery, and then you reveal things about why she's there, and develop that a little more. It would have been, like, great, but you could have at least done something with that, like, as a setting. You know, make, you know, it could have been like, I, I don't know, like, Supergirl in, like, in the... Imagine, like, if Supergirl was in Xavier's special school, but the school wasn't special.
1: Yeah, or what I said to you when we were watching it is... What they should have done, if they wanted to do a Supergirl in school plotline, they should have started the movie presenting her to us as someone who had learned about Earth on Argo City, was well-versed in like, yes. Earth customs, and she made a deliberate choice to travel to Earth to live
0: as an Earth person. Yeah, that too. That too. Like, she's... Like, it's in a way almost like a Little Mermaid story, but without Little Mermaid, where it's like, I want to be where the people are type of thing. (laughs) You know? know, And maybe she has to give up something. Or the other way to do this is how the TV show starts, where she already has a job, and we know she has powers, and really the conflict is more about, like, what do I show or not show?
1: Yeah, this just really... If they just given Supergirl some discernible personality, it would have helped no. a lot because nothing in this movie makes sense at all. Nothing. The plot is complete garbage and it's not it's not entertaining for the most part. Like Faye Dunaway is funny. Yeah. Everything else is a drag. This was of the five movies we watched this And, was the worst. and it
0: was and it was kind of depressing in like a larger sense. Uh I don't know if you'd call, it like, the macro sense or something.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I hope I'm using that word right. I don't think I got that wrong. Um, but, like, Supergirl is an exam- is a strong example of why so many people ha- for so long didn't take comic book movies seriously.
1: Yeah. They
0: didn't take them seriously. They thought they, were for a, were for an- they weren't for anyone over the age of, like, seven. Yeah. Because they think, like, oh, this is just total nonsense. Like... A movie like Supergirl is probably what a lot of people were afraid, like Superman was going to turn out to be like mm-hmm. at the time, where you're just throwing in all this mythology. I assume some of the stuff in the movies from actually the Supergirl comics. Not that, that is an excuse at all, but like it. But and, it, and not only that, it also gave a bad name to comic book movies that could be led by women. Yeah, it's like. I haven't seen Catwoman, but I get the sense that that is kind of like this.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah or, heard and like, i
0: heard that too. From the little bits I've seen of Catwoman, I feel like Sharon Stone in that is like Faye Dunaway in this. <laughs> where it's just, we're giving this character who deserves so much better, like, a garbage plot, and a villain who's just like, if you vamp it up enough, that's enough to, like, carry the movie, and it's so not. And it... I have to. It's like, it's no wonder that Superman Four was going to struggle to make it. It's like you're in a fight and you're doing pretty well, and then you get like the one-two punch of Superman Three and Supergirl. How are you going to recover <laughs> from that fucking shit? That's like your Apollo Creed about to go down from uh, uh, from what's his face from Russia and Rocky Four. <laughs> which, of course, now we lead into our final movie. Superman 4, which... The quest for peas. (laughs) The quest for rosebud frozen peas.
1: (laughs) Or what I will call it, thank God this movie's 90 minutes long. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, And what you need to know about this movie, I'll try to sum up the plot as short as I can. Um... A little kid in school is worried about nuclear disaster, writes a letter to Superman asking him to destroy all the nuclear weapons on Earth. So Superman addresses the UN, tells him he's going to do this. Everyone thinks it's a great idea, which there are a lot of questions to unpack there. None of
1: the nuclear powers (laughs) object.
0: None of the nuclear powers object. Ronald Reagan presumably is somewhere okay with it. Uh, you know, uh, Saddam is, I guess, not arming anything. So Superman gathers up all the weapons, tosses them into a net in space, and flings it into the sun. Meanwhile, Lex Luthor steals a strand of Superman's hair that is, like, hanging in, like, a museum to, like, commemorate, like, something where the hair is, like on, like, a ball or something. What happened is Superman... <laughs> I just watched this movie now I don't remember. Superman
1: donated the hair to a museum exhibit about himself to demonstrate his own strength, because one strand of his hair can hold up a weight okay. that 2,000 Okay, thank hours. you.
0: Okay, so Lex Luthor steals the hair, puts it on one nuclear missile, manages to fling it into the sun, and from that... Another superhero pops out of the sun named Nuclear Man yes. who comes with a front costume that is a design of the sun.
1: <laughs> 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 how we draw how
0: a little kid draws the sun. Um and, and and then like the rest of the movie is Superman now has this other foe that is technically a clone of him, but isn't because he's played by the Charisma Factory, Mark Pillow. (laughs) Who never
1: acted in another movie again. And not not only only that, and not only
0: that, I think is completely dubbed by Gene Hackman. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so he's dubbed by Gene Hackman sounding surly, and so the rest of the movie is them getting into, like, ridiculous scraps at one point, Nuclear Man lifts the Statue of Liberty, and <laughs> Superman has to stop him from that. Um, and then we get that big fight in space, which... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then, you know what? But the things I'm describing, like Superman fight Nuclear Man, the fight in space, that's the stuff I almost enjoy in the movie. Yeah, That's like my kind of trash. It's like, if you're gonna give me stuff that's kind of terrible, at least give me, like, Superman and, like, another spandex-clad man fighting against a black backdrop. (laughs) If you're just gonna say fuck it, like, at least make it kind of, like, amusing on that level. The problem, though, for me, and why I I put this below Superman 3, though, is because I think this is just... I think Superman 4 is more of a missed opportunity than Superman 3. Superman 3 decided to go a whole other route. Superman 3 is, like, your weird cousin that you don't really want to say things to at the family party. (laughs) Sometimes you have to kind of make nice and you have to listen to him talk about his, like, plans for oil and coffee beans. (laughs) And (laughs) supercomputers. And, uh... Yeah, and that, like, robot, by the way. Oh, we didn't even talk about the robot in Superman 3. That was odd.
1: It's so confusing. <laughs> Superman 3 is so confusing.
0: Superman 3 ends almost like an episode of, like, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon <laughs> when I was a kid. But the, but the thing is, Superman 4 has more continuity with the first two movies. That's true. And that's a, but that's the problem, though is that the movie then tries to address in some things the characters from the last movies. And what I thought was a missed opportunity, and I wrote this in my notes, now what happens, though, is Clark, for some reason, decides to reveal to Lois again that he's Superman. Mm -hmm. After that amnesia kiss. And so, you know, he reveals that it's her, it's him. And she's like, oh my God. And they go flying around a little bit in the bad blue screen backdrop. He brings her back and you have this moment between them and it feels like, oh, okay. And she's like, oh, I, I knew Clark. I've always known. And you suddenly realize, oh, so, and this was more, maybe your, more your theory that by the, by get by letting, revealing who he is again, the effects of the kiss are are gone. And now she remembers everything. So what does he do? He kisses her again!
1: Amnesia kiss part two! Why are they doing this, Electric
0: guy? boogaloo. Why
1: did they take a charming that, relationship and just methodically ground it into the dirt and pound it and pound it until it's ruined?
0: There's more conflicts you could have explored. You could have had a movie where he reveals himself to her again she has now the memories of what happened in the last of what happened before ah there now you have something to work with you have character you have some conflicts you have maybe lois is really pissed off about this deception you could have something that these characters have to wrestle with this time that you know brings out different shadings no five seconds later kiss back to normal
1: amnesia kiss again and it's i think it reflects really poorly on superman's character frankly because in the second movie lois is distraught and you can see how he could kind of like trick himself into believing he's doing this for her and he's it's you can see how he can, like, deceive himself into believing it's a kind action. It's,
0: borderline, it's almost a fascinating character flaw for him. I mean, it, again, the movie ends and we don't have time to really grapple with it. But it brings up this, I, at least it's an interesting idea that's, again, not good. But they introduce it, it's there. All right. Let's see if they come back to it. Maybe there will be consequences. Maybe, maybe the kiss isn't forever. Maybe it cracks and maybe it comes apart. No, it's like if you reveal your, if you reveal who you are again, the effects are gone. So, real quick, kiss her again, and then jump back into the room. Come back as Clark can. and then Marvin here like, "Oh, hey, Clark." It's so frustrating. It's hackneyed. It's like, what are the consequences? What, there are no consequences for these characters. Like, do we are we supposed to see them together? Like, Clark and Lois in this movie, it's like, there's nothing. And you could have done more. That's why I, this movie makes me a little more mad than the third movie. Because that was, like, the heart of the first two movies.
1: Yeah, I'm... I'm always going to be a little irritated at this franchise that they were lucky enough to cast actors who played off each other really well. They were smart enough to give them a lot of good dialogue. Great and dialogue,
0: yeah. But they
1: systematically destroyed that relationship for absolutely because, no reason.
0: Well, no, I don't know if it was... Here's, I don't even think it was for no reason. My thought is, like... They had the they they had this conflicting thing in their probably in their heads that you know we want us have like Lois and we want like Clark and super you know blah, blah, blah. we want Superman Lois to be together but our target audience are like young boys and they don't want to see any of that they don't want to see that romance stuff. We gotta, like, push that aside. Superman's gotta go around, like, saving things. He doesn't have time to be, like, with Lois.
1: You know, you're probably right, though. was probably... It. And I know... And,
0: and again, you have to think about how intentionally or not more, like, misogynist like Hollywood was back at that time. And you also have to
1: perpetuate the incredibly stupid, irritating, secret identity plotline, which is why I never invested in this franchise you, to begin with. You
0: can't see it right now. I'm taking off Corey's glasses. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, but I can even I almost liked how the movie like In the first movie, I have a problem with the whole glasses thing because Christopher Reeve made it
1: work. Yeah, he actually, I have to say, did a very good job of playing Clark in Superman. But by
0: this movie, like it, you know, it's like there's so much there that you're leaving off the that you're not taking that's there on the table for you that. Like, yeah, you have this, like, hackney plot involving nuclear weapons and nuclear man. And. But, like, your human characters are there and they're being wasted.
1: Totally wasted. Do you know what I was just thinking? You know when, like, you're a little kid and someone tells you how babies are made and, like, where babies come from? And the cliche, like, when a man and a woman love each other very much. I'm just thinking, when a nuclear missile and a strand of Superman's hair love each other very much, they are shot into the sun. And they create life.
0: No, in this case, it's like the Looney Tunes cartoon where, like, like the stork flies, and the drunken stork flies into the sun, hiccuping, and then like comes out of the sun again with like a little baby nuclear man. <laughs> Did you ever see that Looney Tunes yeah. cartoon yeah. with like the drunk stork? Yes, that's one of my favorites. Did I mention
1: this movie's only ninety minutes long?
0: <laughs> it's ninety minutes, but it's just like, but it, it, it. it I can't believe I'm gonna say these words. At least Superman 3 had a certain ambition. It was it was misguided, but it had an ambition to it. I will always be a little bit kinder to like a movie that has some ambition than a movie that just you know wastes like everything that's right there for them. Um, you know, in a way like I guess you could say Spider-Man 3 has both those but not really in this case it's just you have these two people who we've grown to know at least over a couple of movies we're not gonna really count Superman 3 but two movies with these characters this is almost really like even though it's Superman 4 in the continuity that, that counts it's Superman 3 and it totally fucks it up
1: Yes, it does. It, it,
0: that's where, if it, on the pathos level, it's like a half-star movie. Oh, yeah. Like, now, again, if you're just watching it for, like, the total trash action, you know, to see a movie that started, that, that was supposed to have a $35 million budget and got it cut in half, like, right before shooting because the producers were total hacks who didn't know how to manage their money, like... That part is almost kind of entertaining in, like, a bad movie kind of way.
1: Yeah, I think Superman 4 has some fun bad movie elements and some...
0: Bad, bad movie elements. Yeah,
1: and some elements, as you mentioned, which are very frustrating if you have any level of a it, most emotional investment in these yeah, characters.
0: I, I, I'm not surprised that this kind of killed the franchise for a long time, and... You know, even led to stuff like, you know, why it was so hard to get Superman off the ground again. Because people kept remembering, you know, Amnesia Kiss 2 and Clark, (laughs) like, not Clark, like Superman throwing Nuclear Man in slow motion on like a bad moon set. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't realize, by the way, until we watched like the Honest trailer for this movie that they reused the shot of Superman flying like 20 times. Yeah, they
1: basically had uh, one fuck, shot of him uh, flying and just reused it, it over and over again with different I have to
0: wonder if that was some diva behavior from Christopher Reeve. Like, he was like, you get one flying shot of me. It's like, wait, we need some more. No, make it work. I'm going home. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. And the other thing, too that we haven't touched on this movie, like it, it, it's also a movie that I think wants to feign to be about something. Yeah. And it doesn't grapple with it in the slightest bit. I mean, this whole thing of like, uh, you know, we need to get rid of nuclear weapons. And, you know, this was kind of a big issue, like in at least part of the eighties. I mean, I don't know if you remember like Bruce, even, even, took part of a concert i think where it was all about like nuclear disarmament and things like that like but the movie doesn't deal with that it's like this movie's version of nuclear disarmament is he gives a speech at the u.n everyone's like oh yes 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 like this honestly like should have been like two movies and like You throw away the nuclear man stuff, make it about how Superman proposes this, you know, we're going to get rid of nuclear weapons, and it isn't just like Lex Luthor and his shitty nephew, (laughs) played played by John Cryer, who, you know, I can can tell he's kind of trying to have fun. Um, He adopts this totally bizarre accent that I've literally never heard in a movie before. Yeah, I I was, I I don't know what to do with that. He's
1: currently Lex
0: Luthor. yes um but you do away with that and make it like make this one almost like the captain america winter soldier one make this where superman is like versus the u.s government that's that would have been interesting but this movie doesn't want to do that it just wants to have like a little like It's a new Superman that grows from a hair thrown into the sun. What the fuck is that shit? Oh, we even touch on, like, the part that made me, like... Watching the movie, I did a literal... Like, as if I'm driving along and see something and go, Whoa, 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 whoa! There's a part where... Superman moves the moon to make an eclipse of the sun so that nuclear man loses his powers that's not i'm no i'm no neil degrasse tyson but i don't think that's how that works i feel like the sun's a little bit more powerful than just shifting one like like planet Whatever it is in front of the sun. Well, a moon in front of the sun. Yeah, the moon. Yeah, it's a a harsh mistress.
1: (laughs) This movie is very bad, and this franchise has five movies, and two of them are good. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think not a great batting average.
0: No, what's tough about it though is like, you the good stuff in these movies is so good. Like the good stuff in this, like what Richard Donner and when he was really firing on cylinders, Richard Lester, what they were trying to do with this character and with these actors, it was really impressive at at you know, through a lot of it. Like they, you know, like a lot of movies, you have script problems, but especially in those first two movies, you can see that they had this sort of bigger plan for characters that were seen so marginalized. But then the problem comes in that you're into the 1980s where blockbuster movies for a while became, like, extra shitty. And, you know, it... it, it, Yeah, and yes, it's, it's not a great average. There are technically more bad superman movies that we've talked about today than good ones yeah they have a 40 percent hit ratio (laughs) yeah um but goddamn that 40 percent is so sweet
1: yeah i think that's why you can't dismiss them entirely because you're so right like when it's working it's working well and like christopher reeve's performance is like all-timer it's like yeah
0: Yeah, yeah. It's the
1: kind of thing I wish he had had like an MCU number of films to just.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about that's why I think the fourth one made me so mad. I mean, even when you have, even when the Avengers has like, you know, like the fourth Avengers movie technically is Infinity War, Mm -hmm. which is not like you know the best of those movies, but you know, there's still a lot of good stuff in that movie and it's like, yeah, re- Christopher Reeve should have had that level of an MCU type of thing. And he, uh, he just made, I don't know, maybe part of it was he didn't want to do it.
1: Well, yeah, I could understand how for an actor, you might feel like stifled creatively.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to be stuck doing the same thing and, uh, yeah, uh, but at the same time, what I would say is, if you haven't seen these movies before, rewatch or watch if, uh, for the first and second ones. Um, watch the third one at your own peril. Maybe fast forward a bit on your HBO Max app. Um, if you really want to get hired drunk, watch the fourth one
1: yeah, and, and skip re- the third one. You can really... No, no, and,
0: sk- and skip the and skip Supergirl, excuse me.
1: Watch the Supergirl TV show where Melissa Benoist is killing it every week. And watch the Superman and Lois TV show on The CW. It's just in the first season, so you don't have that many back episodes.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, skip Skip the movie that has a, a Popeye's uh, product placement, which is Supergirl <laughs> 3. Um, I call it Supergirl Three, Jesus Christ. All right. Um, if you guys have seen uh, the Superman movies uh, from this you know period of time, uh let us know. We're at Cinema at gmail.com. We're at Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh we are uh, all over, you know, we're on that social media, so click that like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um And it's great that you're listening to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, We love doing this for you and just talking about movies. Uh, When we come back next time, I think we'll be talking about a brand new movie that's connected with something that we've talked about previously. So that's a little tease for our fellow uh, wagers out there. (laughs) Or wagees. I don't know what we call you people. Uh, (laughs) We can't come up with like a nickname, you know. Um, some kind so until next time I'm Jack and I am super trash Panda Cory. and the wages of cinema is (gasps) (laughs) flies around the planet
1: all
0: right good night